That's right. That's right. Attaboy, Clarence. The holidays are often a time of cheer, parties, family gatherings, and other social events. While many of us embrace and enjoy these intimate moments, a recovering addict or someone struggling with the use of drugs or alcohol can have a difficult time managing the holidays. If there's any chance that you think your loved one's going to come home under the influence, let them come home under the influence and don't have anybody else over so you have an opportunity to connect with them mm. and make them feel like they belong in your life, no matter if they're using or not. That was Andrea Arlington, a certified family recovery and relationship coach and educator and author of Revelations of a Bad Mom, a journey of loving your child into recovery and healing your family. to you. I'm uh, Professor David Nelson. I'm the host of The 33. And of course, my co-host is with me today, Dr. Rashi Shukla, who's also the author of the book, Methamphetamine, A Love Story. And our special guest today is Dr. Travis Jones, assistant professor here at the uh, University of Central Oklahoma, where we are recording <laughs> the podcast. And Dr. Travis Jones is joining us today as we discuss a holiday version of the 33. And today we're going to uh, discuss how recovering addicts can better manage the holidays. So thank you to both of you for uh, joining us. Dr. Travis Jones, you know, you're a guest, somebody new here on the show. And I was wondering if you could spend a few minutes to just tell us a little bit about your background. Uh, sure, I am from a small town called Hampton in South Carolina. I did all my studies at the University of South Carolina in Columbia, studying criminal justice and criminology. My work is primarily in the drugs and crime realm. I work in crypto markets, drug dealing on the internet. Uh, as far as my other interests and stuff, I actually studied music for a couple of years at the University of South Carolina, uh, performed in the Army National Guard band for a bit. So those, that's a bit about me and my background. And I know we discussed a little bit about your uh, ability to play multiple instruments, and I was a little jealous because that's one thing I wish I knew how to do, but you can play essentially anything in the brass family. That is correct. I can play any brass <laughs> instrument, but trumpet is my main. I uh, definitely enjoy, enjoy playing jazz trumpet. That's my, my baby, my love. Okay, well, that's uh, Dr. Travis Jones. He is an assistant professor here at the Criminal Justice School of Criminal Justice here on the campus of the University of Central Oklahoma. Dr. Rashi Shukla is a professor of criminal justice here at the School of Criminal Justice. So um, let's go ahead and just kind of uh, begin and let's talk about a big over broad, kind of a big broad question to open up the conversation is why are the uh, holidays so you know dangerous for those who are in recovery? And Dr. Shukla, we'll start with you. Okay, well, thank you. Um, the holidays have an increased time of stress for a lot of people, whether they are involved with addiction or not. Um, it's a time where you have a lot more family and people that you may not regularly interact with coming to be. You have a lot of social activities, and a lot of times social activities will involve alcohol or, you know, now we even have the consumption of marijuana if someone has medical marijuana. There's a downtime and a break in your regular routines. People are off work. They have a lot more leisure time that they have. 
And so then, of course, you have the financial strain of you have to buy gifts. You've got all of these back-to-back holidays that people will um, engage in. And again, a lot of socializing. And one of the things that people need to keep in mind is even whether you're talking about the holidays or not, a lot of social gatherings involve alcohol or occurrence settings where alcohol is present. And that's something that could, you know, for someone who's recovering from alcohol be an issue, but even for other people involved with addiction might, um, you know, make it more likely that someone might make a decision to use another drug if they're in recovery. Yeah, uh, definitely all of that. And something that you touched on a little bit about the socializing is that a lot of people travel for the holidays, go where their families are, all of that. And what you end up with is you run into old friends is what I call them. People that, you know, you used to hang out with, they know a prior version of you, right? Right. So they expect that everything's going to be just like it always has been. And if you used to use with these people, they're going to be proposing to do that if they have not gone through recovery or what have you. And it's difficult when you're out here and you're socializing. No one wants to be that holiday killjoy. Oh, I can't do that. Okay. But on the same token, you don't want to be doing that. So it's there's this push and pull constantly going on and it's difficult to navigate. And with all the additional stress, the old friend can seem comforting almost. And this doesn't necessarily always have to be just old friends. It could be family members, too, who, of course, we know many holiday parties include family, and it, it can also include alcohol. So uh, from my personal perspective, as being former spouse of someone who used uh, meth in this situation, uh, the holidays were probably the most difficult time. And hers wasn't necessarily the fact that the family liked alcohol. Matter of fact, if I recall, we never had alcohol at any of the holiday parties. It was just the fear, the, the fear of being with family. It's just the the fact that they know her story and know that she is using. And as a result, brings a lot of pressure, right, to them uh, to perform, if you will. Mm -hmm. I mean, literally, I I would imagine it's a performance when they go to these events um, for the holidays. Uh, Yeah, I definitely think it's something of a performance. You want to put forth your best Mm -hmm. version of yourself, right? So you get there and you hope that you can live up to whatever it is that you want to live up to. And when you don't, you know, that little mistake happens, you get down on yourself mm-hmm. and you can spiral and things can snowball. And that's really a big part of this whole situation is where a mistake occurs and that becomes justification, a permission, if you will, to mm-hmm. do worse, to say, well, I've already made this mistake now. So what's a little bit more? What's a little bit more? What's a little bit more? And before you know it, you have done pretty much everything you said you wouldn't do. And you're f- trying to figure out how did I get here? Christmas is a time for closeness, and closeness is what Norelco razors are all about. The shiny new silver rotary razors. Media, social media, things of that nature often will depict all these wonderful holiday imagery, uh, this imagery of a, you know, wonderful, beautiful world that we live in. To them, you know, it's a very difficult period. Well, and for a lot of people, the holidays and bring around a lot of stress and depression also. You know, mm-hmm. there's a lot of people that suffer from depression. And, of course, it's something that social media can enhance as you see people posting all these pictures of their perfect families or seemingly perfect situations. And so it, you know, just the stress. You know, people sometimes use drugs because they help them feel a certain way and because they help relieve some of those anxieties and depression that they may have. And so for someone going into this time that's really emotionally charged and, again, more time, you know, your whole routine is kind of 
kind of hijacked in a way into a something very unique for the time, just the stress and depression of it all might, you know, make someone think about those better times that they thought they had, even though they weren't really better times. And I once had a friend who was in recovery and actually was in-house recovery, inpatient, I should say, right. and they removed all media, especially during the holidays. They encouraged them to, you know, to not put themselves out there in front of media because, you know, it's ubiquitous. It's everywhere, this holiday cheer. <laughs> it definitely is, all this holiday cheer everywhere, and you keep wondering, why am, why am I not like that? Mm. Why is that not my life? And, you know, just as uh, Dr. Shukla, as Rashi was saying, you know, you know, they think, well, this makes me feel a certain way. So I'm not like this. I'm not successful in that way. My family's not perfect, but at least I can feel good over here, right? Mm -hmm. But, you know, that's kind of negative coping, right? They know that they're not supposed to do that. They know that feeling is, you know, fleeting, but mm -hmm. they don't want to feel bad in the moment sitting here waiting and being judged. And they feel, well, at least if I'm going to be judged, I can be judged for doing what I'm actually doing and not what I have done. If your loved one comes home and they're under the influence, have some compassion. Like, first of all, don't jump down their throat and say, I can't believe you. You're at it again. Well, what, is, what can family do to better manage the holidays too, Dr. Jones? I mean, we talk about from the perspective of the recovering addict, but family can be involved too, as far as helping uh, the recovering addict get through these holidays. And the, of course the family helping themselves. Absolutely. Uh, so the family is in a tough position because, you know, the, we all have to understand, especially the addict has to understand that they've been dealing with whatever problems the addict has brought into this life. They, they've been dealing with it and it feels personal. It does feel personal. The family has to understand that it's not personal and the addict has to understand that it feels personal, that they have to kind of meet in the middle here and understand that, yes, we're all feeling some things here, but the only way to get ahead is the, I won't say let those feelings go, but the, you know, in, uh, in certain fields, it's called like emotional labeling. You label what that feeling is, you explain why it's there and you leave it alone after that. You, you've labeled it and you move forward after that. So the addict and the family both have to kind of be on board to do that. And, you know, the family can also do things like, you know, try to make the, the environment more inviting for, for the addict. You know, maybe we can have a family get together. You know, you don't have to say no alcohol, but maybe it's not centered around alcohol. Mm. Maybe if there's people that this person just can't associate with for whatever reason, big trigger for them. Maybe there's some, well, maybe we don't disinvite this person, but maybe we set some separate times. Like you come now for lunch, this person comes for dinner, mm. that sort of stuff. You know, little compromises here and there to make life easier for everyone. The family shouldn't expect the addict to come home clean and perfect and ready to fully participate. Mm. That's mm. not gonna happen. Mm. They're gonna get stressed and they may relapse. Mm. Great point. Yeah, and it might also depend on at what stage in someone's recovery they are they're in because you know during the course of some of my studies you talk to some people who have been clean for a month or have been clean for a very short amount of time versus someone who's been clean for for years or even decades and so how you prepare and plan and, and what you do might vary depending on the stability or the instability of that person's recovery you know but just being around I know you know I, I agree with Dr. Jones it may not be that you know families that enjoy consuming alcohol may not 
appreciate that we have to now change all of our regular routines that we do. We're over 21 and we drink and that's part of what we do as a family. They might resent to have someone around and say, well, now we have to change the way we do things. And so I think it is a tricky compromise about, you know, how can the family be supportive to somebody? And the other thing to kind of keep in mind is, you know, and this is something that I've even encountered with people that I've known that have gone through addiction is, is sometimes how do you forgive somebody that has harmed you in the past? Mm. You know, sometimes when people are in addiction, they will, you know, maybe steal from a family member or they've crossed lines with them. And how do you forgive someone in this, in this setting and invite someone back and show them the grace and compassion? And it's, it can be difficult. You know, people need to understand that this is a, a precarious situation and it can be difficult, particularly if somebody is closer to that transitional stage than if they're very stable in their sobriety. You know, so what you do and how you do it might vary depending on, on not only, you know, how heavy that person's addiction was, but how far away from they are, they are removed in space and time from it. And if going home to your family is stressful, don't do it. Don't do it. No. And often the triggers, uh, a recovering addict can often find those to be involved with some trauma they experienced in the family. Would it be wise for somebody, especially early in recovery, to know their triggers? Absolutely. They have to know their triggers. That's a, that's a big part of going through recovery is understanding what things trigger you into this maladjustment coping mechanisms because that's usually what it is this is a coping mechanism self-medicating type deal so you've got to know what sets you off because you've got to set a plan up to avoid those things like if it's a certain person you can't be around that person if it's certain substances you can't be around those substances if it's certain stressors you've got to do your best to limit them to control them uh, you know, uh, Dr. Shukla mentioned about the routines being all broken up and you've got all this free time during the day, during the holidays. So you may need to try to fill some of that time if downtime is a trigger for you. If when you d are doing nothing, you usually are smoking or snorting meth or doing other or substances, you might need to fill that time. You may pick up another hobby, you know. Uh, I talked with some of my friends about, you know, the things we do when we're upset. Like I play music, I love to play music. Whenever I'm having a bad day, I go pick up my trumpet. Well, for some of these guys, when they have a bad day, they go do meth. So they need a mm -hmm. new mm -hmm. coping mechanism. And they have to know that, that when I get stressed, I do this, I'm going to do this instead. Right. And it's really one of the other things I want people to kind of understand and think about at this time is, you know, we're kind of talking about it as if like the family's all not addicts and then here's the addict in the family situation. But a lot of times addiction runs through families and not everybody goes to recovery. So, you know, I know some people that I've talked to in the past that where some members are still users and, you know, the parents or whoever that's, you know, the, the matriarch or the patriarch of the family wants all their children present, but you might still have some family members who are engaging in you know, illicit activities, particularly like in Oklahoma, where we've we've all but decriminalized use, you know, you know, just simple possession of drugs as a misdemeanor. So those 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 sanctions that we used to have where, you know, like, oh, I'm not going to use it because it's illegal and, you know, I might get in trouble for it. That's really not there. So I know a lot more people that that still use drugs really don't have that incentive to stop until they hit whatever that rock bottom is. So it's very tricky when you have 
multiple people in a family, even when they've used together. So one's sober, one's not. Well, now they're still interacting at Thanksgiving or they're interacting at some holiday event and one still uses and the other doesn't. I mean, and, and mm. really real life is messy and complicated like that. And, and it's, I mean, I don't know, Dr. Mm. Jones may have some insights on, on how we could deal with that kind of a situation. Oh yeah, man. The messiness of, <laughs> of general life. It's, it's true. It's, it's very messy. I, I can think of several situations that are just as you described. Someone wanting to get clean because they've hit some rock bottom and the family is, I won't say the family's not on board. The family's more ambivalent. They're like, I'm still going to do my thing and if I'm going to support you, but they don't really understand what support looks like. Right. And, you know, that's really kind of where the situation gets real messy because the family feels like, well, I'm not trying to force anything on them, so I'm being supportive. They can do their own thing. While the addict is over here saying, I am struggling, and you are doing all of this in front of me or around me, or I know it's happening, and I can't do anything about it. So there has to be, you know, some understanding on each part here. And unfortunately, there's sometimes no way to navigate this. Sometimes one party or another has to say, make a decision for themselves and say, this isn't working for me, at least right now. This isn't working for me, so I'm not going to be here. Now, maybe you can come back later. Maybe when your sobriety is more stable, you can, you can come back. It doesn't mean that you're leaving your family or friends forever, but it does mean that you put your, the care of yourself first. You know, you can't care, about, uh, care for other people until you can take care of yourself. So a lot of ad addicts may need to understand that. The, their their family may not be the support group that they need. It, right. it, and that's tough to hear. That is tough to say and hear that the family might not be the support network. It might be something else. And they might be the trigger. They, exactly. They might be the trigger. You're listening to episode five of the podcast, the 33. But uh, today we are focusing on the holidays. And navigating the holidays can be very difficult for a recovering addict. Our guest today is Dr. Travis Jones. He's an assistant professor here at the School of Criminal Justice here on the campus of UCO. And my co-host, Dr. Rashi Shukla, professor of criminal justice, again joining us as she does on every podcast and the author of the uh, book, Methamphetamine, A Love Story. This kind of takes me into what you were just talking about is that often it's very difficult for a recovering addict to, of course, go to these family gatherings and parties they're invited to. It can be very overwhelming, but this is a time, as you said, to be an advocate, right, for yourself during the holidays. Right, right. You have to advocate for yourself because no one else is going to do it. Uh, that, <laughs> right. That's just the truth of the matter. No one's going to know your struggle like you know your struggle. So you have to be the most plugged in. And that means really taking, you know, emotional stock here and trying to figure out who am I and why do I do the things I do? And that is some extremely tough work to do. It really is. And I I, I honestly don't think there's enough respect in the world for the level of commitment one has to have to really look at the negative things we do and try to be better. It's hard. It's hard for everyone in every facet of life. And most people don't have a biochemical reaction in their brain telling them to go back to do this other bad thing. Right. So for an addict, that means that they have to, they have to focus on this and they kind of have to block out everything else to an extent. You know, you have to take the help that you get that is useful. You have to br bring that in and welcome it. And you have to close out that stuff that triggers you and makes you want to go out here and do 
what you said you wouldn't do. You also have to be willing to forgive yourself as an addict. Uh, you know, I've mentioned before about snowballing, but part of what makes it snowball is that an addict feels so down on themselves when they make a mistake. And so if I'm down on myself, if I feel like I'm nothing and I've already made this mistake, I might as well make another and another mm. and maybe maybe even another because all, each of those mistakes kind of feels good in the moment. Right. right. In that moment, it feels great. And I'm doing it because I feel so bad. An addict has to kind of say, you know, I feel bad because I think I'm a bad person and say to themselves, I'm not a bad person. I may have done bad things. We all have, mm. but I'm not a bad person. That level of self-forgiveness kind of has to come first mm. before you can really focus on anything else. Because if you don't forgive yourself and want to, you know, love yourself, it's hard to kind of stay focused because you don't care about yourself, right? Doing something for everyone else, pleasing them is not a method <laughs> for living a full and successful life. As much as we might try, it just isn't successful. Their substance use disorder is a symptom, not the issue. It's a symptom of all the underlying issues. Let's say you were giving advice to somebody who's a recovering addict and said, hey, there are three things. Here are three things you can do during the holidays. What three things would you provide them as steps that they can take in uh, managing their holiday? Uh, I'd probably start with I mean, this is going to sound so boring, but I'd start with a schedule. You know, maybe I am looking at some of these support groups and meetings, or maybe I'm looking for someone who has been supportive of my struggle the entire time, somebody that I can just feel comfortable talking to. Uh, you, you've got to kind of work those connections, and that can be very difficult if you're an addict uh, because you may have burned some bridges by your behavior previously, and that's going to be hard to rebuild. So you're going to need someone plugged in that wants to help you there. That means that you have to start sooner than the holidays that's probably the third thing that i would say is that you have to start this process not you know december 20th <laughs> calling around saying <laughs> who can i talk yeah. to you about this you gotta you've got to build these kind of over time you know you've got to you've got to reach out to those friends early and say you know just be honest with them and say listen i'm really struggling today do you mind if we just talk for a bit mm. And not being afraid to say that sort of thing, that kind of a, a dual third third choice there, <laughs> you know, not being afraid to uh, go out into this world and own your mistakes and share them with people so that you can kind of get them out into the world. Sometimes when you speak things out, it takes all their power away. It's just kind of like I said this thing and the world didn't end. Mm. I said that I'm addicted to this and I've got problems. And, and you know what? My friend didn't abandon me. Right. They, they said that I, I'm going to help you. You know, once you put that out there, all of a sudden, all those negative feelings, they kind of flow down the river and, re and you realize they're not quite the devastating problem that you thought they were. Right. And I, you know, mine aren't completely different from that because there's there's no like magic pill and there's not really a million things anybody has to do. But the people that I know that, that have been successful in recovery and that have that that make it, you know, they they maintain. They work on maintaining a positive mental attitude about things and not try to be self-defeating and, you know, you know, try to focus on something that keeps your your mental attitude positive, that this is something that you can do. And, you know, as Dr. Jones mentioned, staying busy is part of that. You know, everybody that I know that is successful maintains 
a schedule, you know, maintains a busy, you know, has things that they do again, that fill that downtime because it's in those moments of, of weakness that, that someone might be more likely to be tempted. And I would, I would add to some of what he said to pre-plan for, you know, not just for the holidays in general, but for like those specific situations. So I think this idea of networks, you know, staying tapped into whatever your support system is for recovery. Some people can do meetings in person, some people can go on Zoom, but I think staying engaged with your recovery is key. And whether you have an accountability partner or whether you have, you know, somebody that understands your struggle, you know, because I'll be the first to admit that I'm kind of an outsider. I, I haven't faced this level of addiction, you know, before myself, but someone that has is going to have a lot more understanding and, and be a better support for somebody, you know, in that moment of, of weakness. And there's 1-800 numbers, you know, there's local groups or there's the peers that you've met. And just having that kind of that tie, maintain that tie on a daily basis to whatever it is that helps you maintain your sobriety throughout the year, but just maybe do it more intentionally during the holiday time. And one of the uh, little bit of research that I did on this uh, particular podcast, one website suggested even to script, you yeah. know, script yeah. uh, when you are approached with whether it be drugs or alcohol, have a script and practice it. Look in the mirror and see how it looks and feel how it sounds and hear the tones that you're going to use. And I thought that was an interesting approach to maybe even have a script. And then a second one I read was the idea of having a friend go with you to all these invites and bring that friend, as you said, Dr. Shukla, somebody who understands your struggle. And then the final one, which I thought was interesting, was this idea of using humor. (laughs) You know, not everybody probably knows you don't need to announce to everybody at the gathering or the party or wherever you may be that you're a recovering addict, but use humor, you know, son of self-deprecating humor in some ways to make people relax around you to get away from that um, potential trigger. Well, uh, is there any other advice you want to pass on before we end the podcast? Uh, The only piece of advice I'd probably like to pass along is just to say that, you know, it always is going to be hard no matter what you're doing in these holidays. It's always going to be hard, but it does get easier. And it's important, I think, for addicts that are going through this recovery to understand that, that it's not going to be this level of difficult every time. That it gets a little easier each and every time you script that no and don't take the drugs. It gets a little bit easier. So my advice is to stay, keep at it even when you make mistakes. Yeah, and I would just say, you know, make make sure that your recovery or your sobriety, maintain, may, you know, stays a priority, you know, because it's it was so hard to get there. Like nobody's had an easy journey from addiction to recovery. And even if you relapse or you slip up, that doesn't mean it's the end, even though, again, people might treat you differently. But really make sure that that's one of your key focuses, because it's so hard to just have to keep going up that hill for lack of a better, you know, analogy. And so just make sure that that you really understand that this is a critical part of your well-being. And if you've made it to the point of being in recovery and of maintain, of getting to a point of being sober, then maintaining that is of critical importance. And I like what you said, Dr. Jones, I really believe that a lot of us don't understand the commitment and the difficulty that recovering addicts go through because often socially we see recovering addicts or addicts in general as bad people. 
you know, and as Dr. Jones said, we've all done something bad. We're not bad people. We've just done bad stuff in the past, but the way society reflects on the user, and I was one of those until it hit home and my wife at the time became, you know, was addicted to meth and I went, oh my goodness, you know, this hit home and wow, it does hit people you love. You know, you people you love and respect, it happens to them. So that changed my whole perspective about 15, 16 years ago when I experienced that in my own life. Travis Jones, he is an assistant professor here at the College University of Central Oklahoma. That's where we're recording today, and he's in the School of Criminal Justice along with Dr. Dr. Rashi Shukla, uh, professor of criminal justice. Again, thank you very much. Thank this you. has been episode number five of the 33, little holiday version. And in the next episode, we will continue our discussion of meth addiction in Oklahoma as we have a guest, Dr. Keith Killian. He will join us here on The 33. Thank you again for joining us, and we hope to uh, see you soon. <laughs>